0: If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to hold it up and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. it is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live now turn with me in your copy of god's word to revelation 19 we are approaching the end of this book revelation chapter 19 it was march of 1942 just several months earlier the japanese had bombed pearl harbor and now they were making their way to the philippines when President Roosevelt gave an order for General Douglas MacArthur to flee the Philippines. But before he did, he gave a promise. He said, I shall return, and he did. He returned in October of 1944. It was 1984, and Arnold Schwarzenegger was the Terminator. And he entered into a police station, and he scoped it out And then he gave those words I'll be back and he walked out of the police station and about a minute later he was back driving a pickup truck through that police station but the greatest return ever has yet to take place and that's the return of Jesus Christ you see the return of Jesus Christ is one of the most anticipated events, one of the most spoken of events in the entire Bible. When John began the book of Revelation, he told us that Jesus was coming back to earth. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 he said, look, uh, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him and all the nations of the earth will mourn for him. In Matthew 16 verse 27, Jesus said this, he said, for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. In John 14 verses 1 through 3, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death and his return to heaven and Jesus said these words, he said, don't let your heart be troubled, you trust in God, trust in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And then he said this. He said, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, you can be with me also. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus had just ascended up into heaven. And the disciples were looking up into heaven trying to figure out, What had just happened? And two angels appeared. And the angels said these words. They said, men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. Jesus' return is spoken of in at least 17 Old Testament books. Jesus' return is spoken of in seven out of every ten chapters in the New Testament. References to Jesus' second coming outnumber references to Jesus' first coming by as many as eight to one. You see, Jesus' return is not just something that we hope is going to happen. The return of Jesus is something that we know is going to happen. Now I want to clarify something for you because I think that for a lot of Christians, there's some confusion when it comes to the return of Christ. You see, the return of Christ and the rapture are two separate events. The rapture occurs before the tribulation. The return occurs at the end of the tribulation. The rapture is when Jesus comes for his church. The return is when Jesus comes with his church the rapture is when jesus takes his church out of the world so that they will be spared the wrath that is about to come the return is when jesus comes to put his final wrath upon the world now in chapter 19 we see that jesus return begins With a celebration in heaven. And that celebration is because of two things that take place. I want you to follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. It says, After this, I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, Praise the Lord. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just. He has punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the murder of his servants. And again, their voices rang out, praise the Lord. The smoke from that city ascends forever and ever. Then the 24 elders and the four living beings fell down and worshiped God who was sitting on the throne. They cried out, amen, praise the Lord. And from the throne came a voice that said, praise our God, all his servants, all who fear him, from the least to the greatest. Then I heard again what sounded like, the shout of a vast crowd, or the roar of mighty ocean waves, or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to Him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and His bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, no, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God for... The essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Now notice the first phrase in this section after this. After what? Well, it's after God's judgment on this great prostitute and the kingdom of the beast, Babylon. Remember last week we discovered that the great prostitute is this religious system that deceives the people at the end of the age. And Babylon is this world system that the beast controls during this age. But I want you to notice that now we are back in heaven. And all of heaven is celebrating what has just taken place, the judgment of the world. Over and over again we see that heaven is a place of celebration, it's a place of praise, it's a place of overwhelming joy. Understand there's no mourning in heaven. There's no tears in heaven. Heaven is a place of joy and celebration and praise all the time. Everything that brings tears to our eyes will be gone in heaven. Everything that brings sadness and mourning to our life will be gone in heaven. And notice what the people are shouting. They're shouting, praise the Lord. Now, that word is literally hallelujah, and probably many of you have in your Bibles that word translated hallelujah. That's what the word actually is, and and hallelujah means praise the Lord. It's found four times in this chapter, but what's amazing is even though that's a word that we say a lot, it's a word that we hear a lot, it is only in this chapter that that word is found in the New Testament. It's found nowhere else. In the Old Testament, it's only found in the book of Psalms. Hallelujah. Now, hallelujah is is a universal word. What that means is, is that it is pronounced the same. It means the same in every language around the world. And so if you go to China and you meet someone who's a follower of Jesus in China, and you're trying to communicate with them, but they don't know English, and you don't know Chinese or Mandarin or whatever else, you can say hallelujah. And they will most likely say hallelujah back to you. You see, hallelujah is a universal word. You go to Zimbabwe, and you may not know Swahili, but if you meet a believer there, you can say hallelujah. And they will most likely say hallelujah, praise the Lord back to you. Someone said that that hallelujah is a heavenly word that's on loan to us on earth. It's teaching us how to speak the language of heaven. There's another heavenly word in this chapter and it's the word amen. Amen is also a universal word. It's pronounced the same. It means the same in every single language. I heard a story about amen and hallelujah years ago it seems this preacher had a donkey and he taught this donkey to to go when he said hallelujah and he taught this donkey to stop when he said amen and one day he decided to get rid of his donkey so he put an ad out and this guy came from another town to buy his donkey and he checked the donkey out and he discovered that the donkey was in good shape, good health, and it could work hard, and, and so he decided to buy the donkey. So the preacher told him, listen, you need to understand before you take this donkey home that this donkey only responds, he only goes to hallelujah, that's it, and he only stops with amen. You've got to know those two terms, hallelujah and amen, to get the donkey to go and to get the donkey to stop, and the man said, I got it, hallelujah, amen. Amen. So the donkey proceeded, or the man proceeded to get on the donkey and ride the donkey back home. And his donkey was a long way off, and he'd been traveling all day long, and he was getting tired, he wasn't paying attention. And all of a sudden he realized that the donkey was headed to a cliff. And he forgot the two words, hallelujah and amen. So he said, stop, donkey. Donkey didn't stop. He said, whoa. The donkey didn't whoa. He remembered that the word had something to do with the Bible and and things like that. So he said, Bible, the donkey didn't stop. He used some other words, and the donkey didn't stop. And so the man decided to pray. He said, dear Lord, please get this donkey to stop before I die. In Jesus' name, amen. And the donkey stopped. And then the man lifted up his hands and said, hallelujah. (laughs) You need to be careful where you use amen and where you use Hallelujah. Well, those are heavenly terms, and they're universal terms. You see, heaven is celebrating the fact that the world has been judged. The great prostitute, this false religious system that has been used by the beast to deceive the world, who has murdered the saints, has been judged. Now, understand, judgment and, and accountability aren't very popular in our world today, but they've never been popular. Man has never wanted to be accountable to God. It just seems like it's something we don't want to do. In the book of Psalm, David said this about the wicked. He said, they think God will never call them into account. But understand, the Bible says that one day we must all give an account of our life. Understand, this world will answer to God one day for all the things it has done and all the things that it is doing and will do. Now in verse 4, we see that the 24 elders and the four living creatures are getting involved in worship and we're reminded that God is on his throne. This is one of the messages that we see in the book of Revelation over and over and over. God is on his throne. In spite of what may be going on on earth, God is on his throne in heaven. That word is found 52 times in the New Testament. 38 of those times, it is found in the book of Revelation. God is on his throne. He's always in control. He's never once lost control. And everything is being used by God to accomplish his purpose, his plan. I know when we look at the world, there are times that it looks like the throne is empty. There are times when it looks like God has stepped aside. There are times that it looks like God has been defeated, but he hasn't. Oh, trust me, God is on his throne. And one day, God will judge this world. And so in heaven, they're celebrating the fact that God is finally judge this evil world. But then the scene shifts and we discover that they're celebrating in heaven because the wedding feast has now come. Then you say what wedding feast? Well it's the wedding feast of the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world to his bride, the church that he has paid for with his blood. Now there are several pictures that the New Testament uses for the church. The two most prevalent are the body and the bride. We're the body of which Christ is the head, and we are the bride of which Christ is the groom. Now, if we're going to understand this whole marriage feast thing, we have to better understand marriage in the New Testament, how how marriage worked in the New Testament. In in biblical days, marriage began with a betrothal. A betrothal was a contract where a young man and a young woman were married, but the marriage wasn't consummated. They were committed to one another. They were engaged to one another. They were legally married. They had to be divorced to break the marriage, but they didn't live together. During this year-long period, The man prepared his home for his bride. And the bride prepared her garments for the wedding. And that's the period that we are in today. You see, as the bride of Christ, we've made a commitment to Christ. We're married to Christ, but yet we've never seen Christ. The Bible says that we see through a glass darkly. We love him, we know him, and yet we've never seen him. But the Bible says one day we will see him face to face. You see, right now we're in this betrothal period. We're committed to Christ, but he is up in heaven preparing the house. And we are here down on earth getting our wedding garments ready. Now, this betrothal period typically lasted about a year. And then after a year, the groom would come to get his bride. He would normally do it at night. Oftentimes, he would do it at midnight, and he would bring a lot of his male friends with him. And they would light up the street with torches. And the bride knew that the groom was coming, so she had her maids there to be with her so that they could go with her to the wedding ceremony. And so they would come at night, they would get the bride and get the maids, and they would go to the groom's house to have this wedding ceremony. When we read the parable, the story that Jesus told about the ten virgins, that's a story about this. And how some of them were not ready for the groom when he came. And so they would go to the house and they would get married. They would have the ceremony. And now they were married to one another. But then the party began. Now we have receptions in our weddings today. And and sometimes receptions are very small. Sometimes they're very big. Sometimes they're informal. Sometimes they're very formal. When Sherry and I got married Neither of our families had very much, but all of our friends got together and they put on a big spread for our reception. But I got to tell you, I didn't want to be at that reception. I wanted to go on the honeymoon. And so I kept on nudging Sherry, we need to get out of here. We need to get out of here. And that's how I think most grooms are today when it comes to a reception. I mean, it doesn't matter whether they have prime rib or filet or shrimp or whatever else we want to get out of there and get on with the 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 marriage itself but in the bible days it wasn't just an hour or two reception it was a many day celebration they would celebrate for days on end that the bride and groom were now going to spend the rest of their lives together and the bible says here that what has happened is we have been on earth as we are right now preparing ourselves for the groom. One day soon the groom is going to come and get us. That's the rapture. And then we're going to get ready for the wedding and the wedding is going to take place and then we're going to have a wedding feast in heaven. And the Bible says that we're going to be wearing fine linen. Now what does that mean? Is that fine linen that God has prepared for us because it does say that has been prepared for us. But then it says that it is fine linen representing the work of the saints. So what does that tell us? That tells us that you and I who are followers of Jesus today are preparing the garment that we're going to wear at the wedding feast of the Lamb. The way we live. The way we act the way we react the things that we see the things that we hear all of the things that we do that we call our life is preparing us for that wedding feast and we are preparing our garments and so you need to ask yourself right now is the way I'm living preparing a garment that I'm going to be pleased with when I marry the groom as the bride of Christ and then it says blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast now what is this talking about some of you will say well that's us we're the ones who were invited no we're the bride we're the wedding party we're not the guest who are the guest well the guests are the saints of old John the Baptist People like that who followed the Lord before the cross, before redemption. You see, the church is the bride. But at this wedding feast, there are going to be the saints of old, the patriarchs, the prophets, those who love the Lord. And we're all going to be gathered together at this feast. So we see the return of Christ begins with a celebration in heaven. There's a celebration because the world has been judged and there's a celebration because the wedding feast has finally taken place. We are with our groom. But then the next thing we see is that the return continues with a confrontation on earth. Notice what it says. It says, then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe at his thigh was written the title, King of kings and the Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures, flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast and... And the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse in his army and the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and the false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse and the vultures all gorge themselves on the dead bodies the bible makes it clear that we're going to either be celebrating with the groom at the wedding feast of the lamb or we are going to be fighting against Jesus at the battle the war that we call Armageddon understand Jesus is coming again But when he comes the second time, he's not coming as Savior. He is coming as Lord. The first time Jesus came, he came to redeem. The next time Jesus comes, he's coming to rule. The first time Jesus came, he came as a suffering servant seeking to save those who were lost. But the next time Jesus comes, he is coming as sovereign ruler of everything. When Jesus came the first time, he came to reclaim the kingdom of God is near, but the next time Jesus comes, he is coming to claim his kingdom. then it's interesting in John chapter 4, verse 1, that we see the door of heaven open, and John goes up into heaven. But here in chapter 19, verse 11, we see all of heaven opened up, and Jesus walks out. A door opens and John walks in. All of heaven opens and Jesus walks out. Now, why didn't the door open like it did for John? Well, the reason is because Jesus is the door. That's what John tells us. Jesus is the door and through him, we have to enter if we are going to go to heaven. When Jesus comes back to earth all of heaven is going to split wide open and Jesus along with the saints of old the church the bride of Christ and the angels of heaven are going to come and they are going to take over now the description of Jesus that we see in this passage reveals his majesty for us he is called faithful and true what Jesus says can be trusted he has eyes like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns he receives all the glory and then we are told three different names of Jesus the first name is a mystery that no one knows but Jesus himself now why is that well it's because Jesus is infinite we're finite we don't know everything Jesus is the creator we are the created What we need to understand is there are secret things that belong only to God. There are revealed things that belong to us. And we need to accept that and receive that. The next name reveals Jesus' ministry. He was dressed in a robe dipped in blood. What is that all about? Well, the blood that that robe was dipped in is His blood. It is the blood of Jesus that saves us from our sins and it says his name is the Word of God John 1 in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and then verse 12 and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us Jesus is the Word of God he is the Alpha he is the Omega he is the beginning and the end Jesus is God communicating with us but notice the word is not only the name of Jesus, the word is the weapon of Jesus. From his mouth comes a sharp sword that destroys his enemies. When Jesus came the first time. He came to communicate God's grace and mercy. When Jesus comes the second time, he's coming to communicate God's judgment to the world. And with a simple word, the battle will be over. When Jesus spoke, the the fig tree withered. When Jesus spoke, the storm ceased. When Jesus spoke, the demons came out of legion. Jesus is the word of God. And then the third word describes Jesus' majesty. He is the king above all kings, and he is the Lord above all lords. This description reveals Jesus' majesty, but then the defeat of his enemies reveals Jesus' majesty power. Now understand that Satan has brought all of his armies together to wage war against God but with a single word Jesus destroys all of those armies and those armies make food for the birds of the air. Someone said it this way we can either have supper with the lamb or we can be supper the vultures understand either we're going to be at the marriage feast or we're going to live our life fighting against God and each and every one of us have a choice you have been invited to a wedding or a war depending on what you do with Jesus now what are you going to do with Jesus I'm here to tell you that as we have gone through the book of revelation we've discovered some things We've discovered that Jesus is coming back. And I believe, dear brothers and sisters, he is coming back soon. If the world has ever looked like it is ready for the coming of Jesus, it's today. It's today. Jesus could come back at any moment and he could take his church to heaven. Are you ready? If Jesus comes back today, will you be taken? Because after the rapture, we're told in Revelation that the world will go into a time of great tribulation. The wrath of the Lamb, the judgment of God upon a sinful world. And it's going to be a horrific time as God is unleashing his judgment on the world. And Satan builds his kingdom on earth. And both of those things are horrifying. And then finally, at the end of that seven-year period, Jesus is going to come back. And he is going to set up an earthly kingdom. Are you ready? Are you ready? I got to tell you, I'm ready. I'm ready for Jesus to come back. I've got ten grandchildren. To be honest with you, I really don't want my grandkids growing up in the world I see today so ready for Jesus to come back, take us home, to make all things new, to set up his kingdom. I'm ready. But not only are you ready for Jesus to make everything new, are you ready when he comes back? Are you ready? Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Have you turned from your sin? Have you trusted Jesus alone to be your Savior? Have you surrendered your life to Him as your Lord? That is the only way to be ready. The only way. We don't get to heaven by our good deeds. Yes, the good deeds we do as followers of Jesus will become the the linen garments that we wear when we are at the wedding feast of the Lamb, but those aren't the garments that get us into heaven. Our garments are but filthy rags. It's only when the Holy Spirit comes to live in us through salvation that we can produce garments that are fitting for Jesus. Are you ready? Have you trusted Jesus? Have you turned from sin? Have you surrendered your life to Him as Lord? If you haven't, Now is the time. Today is the day. You don't know how much more time you have. You don't know how many more opportunities you're going to be given. And so, if you're here and you haven't given your life to Jesus, do it today before it's too late. I want you to bow your head, I want you to close your eyes with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here, you've never trusted Jesus to be your Savior, you've never turned from your sin, and you're ready to do that today, then I want to invite you to pray this prayer to him from a humble heart. Dear God, I humbly come to you today asking you to forgive me for all my sins. I've lived life my way. I've acted as if I were on the throne. Forgive me. I don't want to live that way anymore. Jesus, I believe that you came to this earth. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave defeating sin and death from me. And right now, I'm asking you to save me. I'm surrendering my life to you. Come into my heart. Take control. Fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new. Thank you for hearing my prayer.